Water is the perpetual challenge of Western agriculture, but this time it seems different. Decades of drought are showing no sign of let up and water supplies are becoming harder and harder to maintain. And that's leading to questions of whether a structural shift is underway, one that could affect how dairy is produced and in some cases where it's produced at all. Jeff Vandenhuvel is Director of Regulatory and Economic Affairs for the California-based Milk Producers Council. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Alan. You've been involved in the California dairy industry your whole life. What's the evolution you've seen in the industry in its relationship to water? Well, as overregulated as California is on everything, it never regulated its groundwater on a statewide basis. You know, a huge amount of the dairy industry in California is now in the Central Valley uh, of California, probably 95, 90% of the milk, 85 to 90% of the milk produced in California is produced in the Central Valley. It's a vast groundwater basin. Millions and millions of acre feet of water reside under the ground um, and it was never regulated. Consequently, uh, dairy siting, when the dairy industry came in in a big way into the Central Valley, uh, which was probably, you know, 35 to 40 years ago. Of course, there's been dairy here for a lot longer than that, but it, it really took off when California took off a, a huge amount of the uh, increase in volume came from the Central Valley. Dairymen found large tracts of ground that were available. And uh, as long as there was water underneath you, you could put wells in and uh, construct the dairy and begin to uh, milk cows and grow feed around the dairy and, and all was well. Uh, California always depended on the Central Valley, uh, a combination of groundwater and surface water. And uh, the surface water comes uh, not so much in the local area, uh, not a lot of rain in the California Central Valley, but there's a lot of rain and snow that occurs in the Sierra Nevada mountains, which is directly to the east of the Central Valley, and then up in the Cascades, which is more in the northern part of the state. And so major irrigation systems were built both by the federal and the state government, which brought uh, those large uh, supplemental supplies uh, into the Central Valley. And then the Sierra Nevada uh, watersheds, um, the, the rivers that drained the Sierra Nevada from the east were all, most of those were developed um, by local water agencies, uh, with the exception of a, of a large uh, federal project that was was done in the 1950s. So for many years, it was a combination of surface water and groundwater that sustained uh, agriculture in California and, and created really, you know, what is uh, an agriculture marvel in the world. I mean, we grow about 250 different uh, agricultural crops and, uh, and become home of uh, the, the nation's largest uh, uh, dairy industry. Water wasn't, it was there, there was a lot of it, uh, and um, there wasn't a huge barrier to accessing it. And uh, so it wasn't something we spent a lot of time thinking about. What's drawing the acute crisis we've seen in recent years? It's a combination of droughts, but also what we call man-made drought. In the, in the early 1990s, there were a couple of really critical policy decisions, regulatory decisions that were made um, that, that now 30 years later, we can see kind of what what the contribution that those changes made to the situation we're finding ourselves in. And what that was, was there was a Central Valley Project Improvement Act that was passed in, I believe, 1991 or 1992, which 
which took about 800,000 to a million acre feet of Central Valley project yield and dedicated it to the environment. So um, when, I, when I talk about yield, you know, in order to have a irrigation system, there's a lot involved. Uh, you have to, you, you start with some sort of a dam that creates a water supply lake. And in this case, it was uh, Shasta and, and Lake Shasta and uh, several other federal lakes, uh, like, uh, Folsom and Trinity. And, uh, and then you have a conveyance system. You use some rivers. Uh, they use the Sacramento River to flow the water south. And then flowing out of the delta goes into this delta region. Uh, which is a, you know, a delta historically is a mixing zone between saltwater and freshwater. And, uh, and so we have a, a large delta in California and the water come from the Sacramento River from the northern uh, part of the state comes into the delta, threads its way through the delta. Most of it is heading out to the Golden Gate Bridge out to keep the sea from coming back into this delta region, which is also heavily farmed. And then there are two major water projects, uh, canals, the California Aqueduct and the uh, Central Valley, the Delta Mendota Canal. Those two uh, facilities, their pumping plants are about a mile apart. They pump water out of the Delta and then they bring it down into Central and Southern California. So that's the plumbing. This Central Valley Project Improvement Act took uh, about a million acre feet of the Central Valley Project's share of water and repurposed it for the environment. It also uh, had some priorities on uh, restoring some fisheries. Then at about the same time, there were two fish that were listed as endangered that lived in the Delta. One is a, a fish called the Delta smelt, and it's a small kind of a bait fish. And the other was the winter run Chinook salmon. Now, most of the, the, when the Shasta Dam was built on the Sacramento River, um, all of the salmon runs up above that uh, dam, you know, basically were terminated, exterminated. Um, but there are, there, are, there still were uh, streams and rivers below the, the dam, and there are still some species of salmon that spawned in those areas. And um, one of those became listed as endangered. And the Endangered Species Act is an incredibly powerful law. Um, really, once a species is listed as endangered, nothing may be done that would harm the species because the species is on the verge of extinction. And it, and it supersedes any other law that exists out there, except for maybe very minimal health and safety. Uh, you know, and so, the the projects then in the early 1990s, uh, when these species were listed, they um, the biologists had to come up with a what they call a biological opinion on what it was going to take to save these species. And what it involved was more water going to the ocean and less water being diverted to agriculture and to Southern California. And the net effect of that was a couple of million acre feet a year reduced surface water supplies coming to Central and Southern California from those projects than what had been counted on previously. 
your original statement was that of all the things that are regulated in California, this is an area that hasn't been. It sounds to me like there's quite a lot of regulation we're talking about here, but it's not necessarily regulation that is helpful to the dairy industry. Here's the here's the how you connect the dots. If your surface water supplies are reduced and groundwater is not regulated, what do you think people do? They pump more groundwater. You know, we've already planted all these acres, right? I mean, we're, we've got 5 million acres of irrigated agriculture, very productive. Um, and the dairy industry is part of that. You know, roll the clock forward uh, 30 years and throw in, you know, some drought years in, in there. And what have you done? You have done a major depletion of your groundwater resources to a point where, you know, it was completely unsustainable. We had to do something about it. And uh, the state passed the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act in 2014. And um, the principle there is that uh, groundwater will be regulated. And, but they realized that it took a while to get into this problem and it would be terribly destructive uh, to the agriculture economy and frankly, the, you know, the whole economy of the Central Valley to try to turn that whole ship around overnight and so they uh, uh, local they required the all of the land that in California that sits above groundwater. So what doesn't sit above groundwater like mountains that's sitting on granite. So there's no groundwater there. But any 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 land that sits over groundwater had to become part of a groundwater sustainability agency, which would be a public agency. There were a couple hundred of those agencies then that were formed 2015, 2016. And then those agencies in critically overdrafted basins, which is most of the Central Valley, had a requirement that by January 31 of 2020, they had to submit a plan that would show how that area was going to become sustainable by the year 2040. And they could do it in, 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 in a ramp down fashion, but all of, the, all of the areas of the Central Valley have now submitted those plans and they are implementing them. And in the Southern San Joaquin Valley, south of Fresno is just naturally drier than, uh, than the Northern part of the Central Valley. And so it's, it face, it's facing, um, you know, kind of the, the crunch quicker than maybe other areas, but we have a lot of dairy in the Southern San Joaquin Valley. So there's, there's areas that have a lot of dairy that are now already on a groundwater budget. That is, they're allocated a certain amount of groundwater that they can pump, and they're allocated more than what is, than they will be, than will, will be available in 2040, because there's a ramp down, um, but they're beginning to have to pay uh, fees for accessing this essentially overdrafted, uh, overdraft, continued overdraft water. And uh, so this is beginning to have a bite. And then we're in the third year. You know, this is a third pretty dry year in a row. So that that is exacerbating the problem. How is that affecting the face of California dairy? You know, I don't think you've, you've seen a lot of milk production impacts yet. We need a wet winter really badly, or I think we will begin to start seeing some some impacts here. Now, the one thing about dairy is the water to actually run the dairy operation, that is the milking operation, you know, watering the cattle, and, and you know, so the immediate dairy water needs are not that large 
um, on a comparative basis than what it takes to actually grow crops. And so the actual footprint of the dairy um, is probably sustainable, it, but it does present, you know, where are we gonna get the feed from? And then what are we gonna do um, about, about disposing our manure? Because the, you know, the, the predominant method of manure disposal or utilization as, was this fertilizer on, on crops, which, you know, if the water supply becomes limited to grow those crops, you know, then that creates um, a problem and, and it's a problem that we're, you know, we're faced with. That is an interesting relative position to say someone who's growing walnuts, um, which take quite a bit of water. And if that walnut farmer is reduced in his water availability, he, he can't, I mean, he just has to start cutting acres and taking out trees. It doesn't really have an alternative to that. So how does dairy compete? That's really the question we're wrestling with as, as an industry here in California is, you know, what, what is this really going to mean to us? And we don't really have uh, the definitive answer to that. Um, are there any steps being taken along the way that that are reasons for hope that that this is an environment where where California dairy can continue to thrive despite the the calls for reduced water use? Probably the the biggest thing that we've got going for us is you know the people that are very innovative and uh, the industry is is organized in in a in a good fashion. Uh, you know, we've got, you know, you know the, the manure disposal pro problem and, and what to do about methane and, and what to do about our environmental impacts. We've got done a lot to address those things and we'll continue to do those, uh, you know, a lot to advance uh, the efficiencies. Uh, when it comes to water, one thing about, you know, the, the, the situation we're facing is it's very site specific. So you can have dairy farmers that are across the street from each other. One's in a water district and one is not. The one in the water district has a different water reality than the guy across the street. Presumably, we believe that it's going to start raining again and it's going to start snowing again. And one of the things that historically we have not done is hang on to, you know, we get a lot of rain in a short amount of time or a lot of precipitation and then you have flooding. And, you know, if you've been around the dairy industry for any period of time, you've seen pictures of flooding in California. Um, I, I, we, we've all gotten, um, you know, there's a new, a new uh, ethic now. <laughs> when, we, when we have floodwaters, we're going to grab as much as we can of that. We're going to spread them out over the fields and we're going to percolate them in the ground instead of trying to send them out of here as quickly as possible. So I think there absolutely is hope. We're going to have to manage better. It's going to require some investment, um, not only by the dairy industry and dairy farmers, but you know, frankly, um, our uh, our governments are going to have to help us finance some of this infrastructure that's going to be necessary to uh, to capture these big flood flows. But there is an enormous amount of water that occurs in California in those flood years that historically has just run out to the ocean, and and we're going to have to capture that. I just want to jump back for one second because you'd been talking about how one thing you really need is, is, is a snowy winter. The implication being that if if there isn't a snowy winter this winter, you could start seeing some tangible impacts on the structure of California dairy next year. Yeah, I, I think you could. Especially if, you know, beef prices stay high and there's something 
else you can do with the animals. Yeah. If you're looking at the California water story from the outside, one thing you hear a lot about is the Colorado River. California is bracing for its first ever cuts to Colorado River allocations. What impact does that have on California dairy farmers? I think it's significant because that's a big forage growing area. You know, now that's starting to get attention in the national press, you know, that, uh, you know, we're growing all this alfalfa over there in the desert. And, you know, what are we doing that for? Well, I mean, we're, we're growing it out there because it grows well out there. There's, there's a lot, there's been a lot of water there. You know, we've got a lot of cows and, um, you know, another thing doesn't get any attention is uh, we got about 700,000 horses in California and they all eat, you know, 10 to 20 pounds a head a day as well of alfalfa. The Colorado River, you know, it all of a sudden it's getting a lot of attention. Um, one of the reasons it hasn't in the past is that Lake Mead and Lake Powell are just massive, massive lakes. You know, the biggest lake in California is Shasta and it's four and a half million acre feet. Mead and Powell are each about 27, 28 million acre feet each. And they were both full in 1999. In the last 23 years, the amount of water that, that we've taken out of that system in excess of what nature has provided it is, is pretty astounding. That water has all been used for ag and municipal usage. Uh, and it's, it's frankly, it's overallocated. I mean, it, there's going to have to be cutbacks. What kind of impact that's going to have? It's going to have some, and it's, it's, really, hard to, it's really hard to tell. Uh, how that's gonna how that's gonna uh, play itself through the whole system. And you talk about allocations. In the end, I mean, you're talking about municipal use. You're talking about lawns and showers and and urban uses. Is it inevitable that agriculture and urban uses end up being pitted against one another? I remember when I first started in water. Uh, was a, a, a elderly gentleman, farmer, wise man, and he, he would he would give talks uh, to farmers. And uh, he said always to us as farmers, always remember you farm at the pleasure of the urban population. And um, we don't like to hear that, but the reality is, is that the people have the votes and ultimately they're gonna, they're gonna their needs are gonna be met. However, um, on the Colorado River, um, there's, a, there's what's called the law of the river, and it's pretty powerful. Um, it was uh, initially, uh, uh, its first iteration was required by the federal government when they were getting ready to build Hoover Dam. And they, they insisted that the seven states that take water out of the Colorado that had rights um, agree how they were gonna divide this water up. And so they divided it into an upper basin, a lower basin, the lower basin states was Arizona, Nevada, and California. And then that is further divided. And um, California got 4.4 million acre feet a year. Arizona got 2.8 million acre feet a year. And Nevada got 300,000 acre feet a year. Now, remember in 1930, um, there was no thought that Nevada would ever have a Las Vegas. Um, but that's how much water they got, and that's how much water they get to this day. And there was a priority system. Who had to take the cuts? There's senior rights, there's junior rights, and all of this is all spelled out in the law of the river. And you can actually go online and 
Google Law of the River and you can read it for yourself. So there are shortage provisions that that are that come into play. At, you know, they were all anticipated up front, and that system will um, will uh, execute itself. Uh, in California, the 4.4 million is further divided and into a priority system. And the first priority is Palo Verde Irrigation District. And the second priority is the California portion of the Yuma Indian Reservation. And the third priority is Imperial Irrigation District. And the fourth priority is the Coachella Valley uh, Water District. And the fifth priority is Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. So Metropolitan is last in line. And once Metropolitan's uh, fifth priority, then we're past the 4.4 million. So they have been doing, uh, they bought a lot of land in Palo Verde Irrigation District. They've done land fallowing programs in Palo Verde because they're, they, Palo Verde gets all the water they need first. So if they can cut down how much Palo Verde takes, then that leaves more in the system. They've been doing, San Diego did a big water transfer with the Imperial Irrigation District. And, uh, and so they, Imperial has reduced their water use. They used to use 3.1 million acre feet a year. They're down to 2.6 million acre feet a year. Coachella's, you know, uh, done deals also. So, you know, there is a mechanism that is in place uh, to handle shortages and ag has the senior water rights. So to get ag to give that up um, is certainly possible. Um, there's, there's a recognition by ag that, you know, like, like the, the wise uh, old farmer said to, to groups 30 years ago, we farm at the pleasure of the urban population. It's in our interest to make sure they have the water they need um, because, you know, we don't want to provoke them to do something, you know, that's really damaging to us. And, uh, and, and so you saw Congress, uh, Senator Sinema from Arizona, which is, you know, they're junior to California. Uh, what did she need to get the uh, Inflation Reduction Act passed? $4 billion uh, of federal money to deal with this Colorado River issue. And I suspect a fair amount of that money is gonna go to pay farmers to fallow to make more water available for, you know, Phoenix, Tucson, Los Angeles and Las Vegas. When you start hearing about different irrigation districts in California, those are of intense local interest, but it's not necessarily accessible to somebody who's in another part of the country wondering what can be done at the level of government we participate in that can alleviate the California water crisis and, and help ensure that dairy can thrive in California. What perspective would you see on that from the federal level? What can be done? Well, the federal government actually has operational control of a substantial portion of the California water system, both the Colorado River system and, and the uh, Central Valley uh, system. So federal government, Bureau of Reclamation, uh, Army Corps of Engineers, these are uh, federal uh, agencies. And then, you know, there, there's, there's going to be a significant amount of federal investment along with state and local investment in uh, water is, you know, water recycling and programs to help the urban areas to, um, you know, stretch their water supplies. And to the extent that uh, those investments get made, that's very expensive water. 
Um, but to the extent that uh, the urban population can be satisfied with those types of things, it leaves more water available for, uh, for agriculture. And we need to use that water, um, that water uh, very efficiently. But I think it's important to recognize that, um, you know, there are California uh, agriculture is a very, very unique uh, national treasure in terms of the, the, what we can grow here and what we provide in terms of food security, food diversity um, to, to the whole nation and, you know, in some, in some respects to the world. Um, it would, one, of the, one of the beauties, you know, real enjoyments that I had as, as I transitioned from Southern California to the Central Valley and then had the responsibility to really follow water for the dairy industry. Um, I put 2,500 to 3,000 miles a month on my truck just driving up and down the valley going to water meetings. And to see what's been built here is, is just incredible and, and marvelous. And, um, you know, we're running the risk of losing that if we don't, you know, do some things uh, intelligently. So um, you know, I've got a lot of faith in, uh, in the American people. You know, uh, my, one of my favorite quotes is from Winston Churchill. He said, you can always count on Americans to do the right thing but not until they've exhausted all the alternatives. And uh, I think we're, we've exhausted a lot of alternatives. <laughs> and uh, so I'm always optimistic. I think uh, there, is a, there is a lot of uh, hope out there, but it's, uh, it's gonna come from us, you know, continuing to work the problems. We've been speaking with Jeff Vandenhuvel. He's the Director of, of Regulatory and Economic Affairs for the California-based Milk Producers Council. And that's it for today's podcast. For more on NMPF's policy activities, please visit our website at nmpf.org. And for more of the Dairy Defined podcast, you can find and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music under the podcast name Dairy Defined. Thank you for joining us.